Welcome to Redemption Church. You're listening to our weekly podcast. Thanks for tuning in. So growing up in Southeast Texas, I'm pretty sure that my story is very similar to your stories. I was raised in the church. How many, just show of hands, how many of you were raised in the church? Yes. Okay, yeah, if you grew up in Southeast Texas, this is the, you know, the gold cowboy belt buckle on the Bible belt. If you are from Southeast Texas somewhere, you were most likely raised in church. I was raised in the church. I was raised by praying grandparents who, love the Lord. They love me. They love the church. And anytime that the doors were open, we were pretty much at church. Hear me on this. We used to go to church three times a week. Yeah, some of you at three times a month is impossible. Three times a week. That's how much we went to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. If the doors were open, we were at church. And if there was a revival service, you could just forget about hanging out with your friends or watching your favorite TV show because you were going to be at the church. That's just the way that it was. I was raised in the church, but somewhere about the age of 15 or 16, I realized, you know what? I don't want to live my life this way, that I don't want to be a Christian. I don't want to follow the Lord. I don't want anybody to tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do when I want, whenever I want. And so that began the journey of me running as far and as fast away from the Lord as possible. And I was running away from the Lord. And I did anything that I could to get away and as far away from the Lord as possible. I tried everything. I joined punk bands. I moved to Pennsylvania. I was promiscuous, drug, sex, rock and roll, alcohol alcohol, whatever I could do. I, I even went to college. I did everything that I could to run away from the, from the Lord, to turn my back on the God that I was raised to love and to live my life for. And I was running from the Lord. And that, um, that happened all the way up until about the age of 20. So several years go by, I'm running from the Lord, and then I meet a cute girl. And her story is a lot like my story, a lot like your story, that she was raised in church, and she had turned her back on the Lord, and she was running away from the Lord. And we just happened to run into one another. And so as we're running from the Lord, one night, um, she starts listening to uh, music, a song that she hadn't heard in several years. It just randomly came on the radio, And then she felt the Lord's presence fill her room and she got down on her knees and she prayed and she gave her life to Jesus. And she called me up and she said, you know what, Byron? Um, I became a Christian. I want to live my life this way. I don't want to do the things that we used to do. And I want you to take me to church. Now, church is the last place that I want to take this girl, okay? I did not want to go to church. I thought, I've been trying to get away from the church. I definitely don't want to go back to church. I would take her anywhere. I'd take her to a bar. I'd take her back to my place. I would take her anywhere except for church. But this girl was cute, and she was a little persistent, so I thought, you know what? Okay, fine. I'll take you to church, and then maybe this will all just blow over. Maybe this is just like a phase. Maybe it's just a moment. Maybe, you know, you'll go, and you'll kind of see that we don't really believe this, and we don't want to live our life like this, and then, you know, we'll just get back to doing whatever it is that we wanted to do. And the moment we walked in those doors, something happened. I can't explain it. I don't know what it is, and I don't even know how it happened. As I'm sitting in the chairs, I'm listening to music that's probably, that's not very good. And I'm listening to a sermon that I most likely disagreed with. And so I don't understand what it was, but all of a sudden the word of the Lord, it came to me. That as I'm sitting there in those chairs, 
I was running from God and in a moment I began trusting in God. That I walked in those doors running from the Lord and I walked out those doors trusting in the Lord. That I stopped running and I reached a place to where I began trusting. And I tell you that to tell you this, that a lot of your stories are very similar to mine. That you were raised in the church, but you have been running from God. And God today is wanting to bring you from a place of running into a place of trusting. For me, that was 12 years ago. Two years after I met that girl, I decided to marry her. And her name is Ashley. And today we get to serve as the church planters and the lead pastor of Redemption Church. And this has been 12 years of of me learning how day by day to trust in the word of God and the will of God for my life. And it has led to some amazing and beautiful and crazy and painful and difficult things that I could never imagine. But it's been a daily process of me learning to turn from running and to start in trusting. And I tell you that to tell you this, that what God has done for me, I believe that he can do it for you. If you reach a place to where you stop running and you start trusting, God has a plan for your life. God has a call on your life. God has a work that he wants to do in your life. There is a word of the Lord for your life. And if you want to experience the word of the Lord for your life, then you need to stop running and you need to start trusting. And so my hope and my goal and my prayer for you starting today and through the rest of the series and for the rest of your life is that you will know the word of the Lord for your life. So you stop running and start trusting. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to start a brand new book of the Bible. Okay. If you're new to redemption, this is our favorite way to preach. We love to preach straight through books of the Bible. We pick a book verse by verse, chapter by chapter, walking through that book. And today we're starting the book of Jonah. And it's going to take four weeks for us to do each individual chapter, and I'm really excited as we start the book of Jonah, and here's why. Because Jonah is our story. We're calling the sermon series, We Are Jonah, because this really is our story. That God speaks, and Jonah runs. That God has a call on Jonah's life, and Jonah, he runs from the call of God on his life. But wherever Jonah runs, God, he's right there behind him. That's where you're at today, that you're running, but what you'll see is the moment you turn around, God's right there, he's waiting for you. So are you guys ready to start the book of Jonah? Yeah. Good, because I was going to do it anyway. Jonah chapter 1. We're going to do the book of Jonah. And so Jonah chapter 1, here's what it says. Now the word of the Lord. That's very important. The book begins where everything begins. It begins with the word from the Lord. You need a word of the Lord for your life. It begins with the word of the Lord. That your life, your existence, your hope, your future, everything is to start and end with the word of the Lord. Your marriage needs a word from the Lord. Your relationships need a word from the Lord. Who you date, how you spend your money, where you work, it begins and it ends with the word for the Lord. Your hobbies, your interests, your family, your finances, your faith, your health, your physical health, your spiritual health. Everything starts and ends with the word that comes from the Lord. You need a word from the Lord. And today Jonah's going to open up with the word from the, from the Lord. And so what I want you to do is I want you to lean in and listen to and learn from the prophet Jonah as you see that there is a word of the Lord on your life. But here's the question that you must answer this. Will you receive it or will you reject it? Will you obey the word of the Lord or will you disobey the word of the Lord? Will you run to God or will you run from God? That's your call. That's a decision that you must make before you walk out these doors today. Will you come running to God or will you leave here running from God? You need a word of the Lord on your life. And here's what it says. 
Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. That's you, that's me. We are Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city. Nineveh is a great city. Okay, we'll understand this. The book of Jonah is not about a fish. Okay, a lot of you are thinking, when are we going to get to the fish? When are we going to talk about the fish? The book of Jonah is not about a fish. In fact, it's about a It's about a city. He says, arise and go to that great city. God is calling you to go to the city. And this is very important for us right now at Redemption, especially in this moment and season that we're in. God is calling us to go to the city so we can get out and we can live on the mission of God and we can reach our city. Beaumont is a great city. Orange is a great city. Port Arthur, Nederland, Groves, Port Natchez are great cities. Lumberton is a great city. Vider. God loves Vider because it's a great city. God wants you to go to the city and call out against it for their evil has come upon me. God is calling Jonah to go out to the great city because their evil has come before him. And here's what we see. But the next slide says, but Jonah, that's you, that's me. And this is the storyline of the Bible that God calls and we run. Okay, that God speaks and we, we do exactly the opposite. Okay, here's the story of the Bible. Genesis 1.1. God speaks in the beginning God's word and everything comes into existence. Everything is created by the word of God. So Genesis 1.1, God speaks and the sun and the moon and the stars and the trees and the plants and the animals and you know the sky and the mountains and the sea and the ocean. God speaks and it all happens. And then God creates Adam and Eve and what do they do? They disobey that they turn, they run, they flee, they hide from the Lord. They, they, they turn their back on the Lord. That's how this works, that God speaks and we run in the opposite direction. That's what's happening here. God says, Jonah, arise. And here's what it says, but Jonah. Jonah says, no, thank you, God. I'm going to do the exact opposite of your will for my life. God speaks and Jonah, he runs. It says he rose to flee to Tarshish, okay, from the presence of the Lord. You're going to see this word happen multiple times through the text today, that Jonah is fleeing from the presence of the Lord. And now here's why I find this um, so interesting, okay, because Jonah, he's actually a pretty smart guy. Okay, Jonah, he knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. Jonah's not just some B-team guy that God calls off the side of the street and just puts him in there and maybe he can be a scrub for the Jesus team. That's not what Jonah is. Jonah's actually very popular. He's very prominent. He's a prolific figure in the nation of Israel because Jonah, he is a prophet. Jonah, he knows what he's doing. He's not just any prophet. He stands in a line of some pretty amazing prophets. Okay, the prophet before him, him was a man named Elijah. Ever heard of him? Yeah, he's the guy who calls down fire from heaven. Okay, that's a big deal. He, he, he didn't even die. He ascended into heaven in a flaming chariot. Some of you have a Camaro with flames on the side. That doesn't even touch Elijah's chariot because he flies up into heaven in flames. That's, that's amazing. And then Elijah, he prays over a man named Elisha. He receives a double portion of the blessing from Elijah. And then after Elisha dies, guess who takes over? Our boy Jonah, right? Jonah, he is the mouthpiece. He picks up the microphone and he speaks on behalf of God to the northern kingdom of the nation of Israel. Okay, Jonah, he's a kind of big deal. 
And growing up through the ranks, becoming a prophet, Jonah, he would have learned some systematic theology. He would have known the character and the nature and the attributes of God. And one of those attributes being that God is omnipresent. Okay, big fancy words. You know what omnipresent means? Always present. That everywhere, all the time, God is always present, okay? Everywhere you go, that's where God's at because God is omnipresent. And here's what Jonah's doing. He is running from the presence of the Lord. Does that sound impossible? Yes. You're like, Jonah, what are you doing? You're like, I'm running from, away from the everywhere, always present presence of the Lord. Really? How's that working out for you? Hmm, we'll find out by the end of the book how that goes. Where are you going, Jonah? I'm running away from God. That sounds impossible. Okay, and here's the big idea. Your sin makes you stupid. You're like, ooh, can the pastor call me stupid? He just did. You can talk to him after the service. Your sin makes you stupid because you do dumb things. You do things that you know aren't even true. Right, Jonah, he's fleeing from the presence of the Lord, even though God is always everywhere all of the time. And your sin, it makes you stupid. I'll give you an example from something that's happening in the Ellis household right now. Uh, my little girl, she's 20 months old. Okay? And before you think that I'm calling my little girl stupid, she's 20 months. Okay? You're 20 years. There's a big difference. So my little girl, she's 20 months old, and she's learning the difference between right and wrong. There's things she can do, things she can't do. There's some things that she can do and we'll take pictures of and put on Instagram because they're really cute. There's some things she can't do and she's going to get in trouble. And one of the things that she, she can't do is she can't climb on the stairs. She knows this, right? And, and we don't let her climb on the stairs. Why? Because we love her. It's not that we don't love her. It's actually for her protection. So we say, Esther, no, you can't climb on the stairs because the stairs are dangerous, and so we pick her up from the stairs and we put her back down, but she understands that she just kind of got in trouble. And so what she does is she started to run and hide. And, and she goes and she hides and she likes to hide under the dining room table. And she thinks that if she's under the dining room table, we don't know where she's at or we don't know what she's done. Like if, you know, like if we don't see her, then you know, she, she didn't do anything wrong. And that's the same thing that a lot of you are doing in your life. That you're trying to hide from your father that you are running from God, you are hiding from God, and you are living your life under the dining room table thinking that just because you're there, he doesn't know what you've done and he doesn't see what you are doing. Some of you, you're living your life just like, like Jonah. You've run away from the Lord. Let me clue you in on something. Okay, God is a lot smarter than you. Okay, did y'all know that? He's a lot bigger than you. God, he's a lot greater than you and there's nothing that you can do that he doesn't already know. That it doesn't matter how much you run or how much you hide, you cannot hide and you cannot outrun God. Because everywhere you go, guess what? That's exactly where he's at. Because you cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. And when you do, when you run from God, your sin has made you stupid. Because sin is literally turning away from the Lord and looking to yourself or looking to something in the world and saying, God, this is what I want to do with my life. This is how I'm going to live my life. And your sin is headlong foolishness and rebellion in the opposite direction of where God is calling you to go. You are fleeing from the presence of the Lord. So how does this story continue? Here's what we see next. Here's what Jonah does. He went down to Joppa and he found a ship 
going to Tarshish. Okay, let me say this, that if you're wanting to run from the presence of the Lord, you're always going to find a ship. There's always something to take you away from God. It could be work, it could be relationships, it could be hobbies, it could be interests, it could be your own personal, your own personal desires and your proclivities. It could be distractions, it could be deception. But whatever you want to do, if you're looking to run from God, there is always an excuse. There will always be a ship waiting to take you there. So Jonah, he found a ship and he's going to where? Tarshish. Okay, that's in the opposite direction. And so he paid the fare and he went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from, what's that word? The presence of the Lord. Now we have to ask ourselves this question. Why is Jonah running? That's something very important. Why is Jonah running? And here's the answer. Because God has told him to do something hard. God told him to do something that he doesn't want to do. Does God have the right to speak into your life? Does God have the right to tell you to do something that you might disagree with, something that you don't want to do, something that you don't desire to do? Does God have the right to speak in your life? See, God is telling Jonah to do something that Jonah doesn't want to do. See, that's not Jonah's plan for his life. Jonah had a plan for his life, that he was going to grow up in, you know, Sunday school. He was going to learn the ABCs of salvation. He was going to work his way up to eventually became top prophet of the nation of Israel, to where he was a big dude, and then he was going to play it safe. He was going to relax. He had a plan for his life for it to be comfortable. And, and, and Jonah says, God, that's not my plan for my life, okay? I have a plan. It's a nice plan. It's a five-year plan right? It's got a nice little schematic. There's a blueprint, an Excel spreadsheet. Just put your little God gold star sticker right next to it and bless my plan. I want a blessed plan so I can live a best life. I can live the blessed life and I can hashtag it on Instagram because everybody loves my plan. Jonah had a plan, but it didn't involve God's plan. God says, that's a nice plan, Jonah. It'd be a shame if I ruined it. And that's exactly what God does. And God says, yeah, you got a plan, but what about my plan? See, Jonah had a plan that didn't involve God's plan. Do you involve God when you make your plans? And here's what God's plan was. God's plan was for Jonah to go to the city of Nineveh. Okay, now this is very important for the remainder of this series. We need to understand about the city of Nineveh because, because this book is not about a fish. Okay, it's about the city. So let me tell you a little bit about the city of Nineveh. Nineveh was founded by a guy named Nimrod. Okay, and if you think that's an awesome name, it's not. Say, so don't, don't name your kids that because that's child abuse. Okay, Nimrod is not a good dude. Nimrod's a bad dude. Okay, Nimrod is actually the, the, uh, the great grandson of Noah. Okay, and despite his family legacy, Nimrod, Nimrod was a wicked, violent, ruthless leader. His name actually means great hunter because that's what he was. He would hunt people down and he would kill them. And then Nimrod, he's actually the guy who funded and founded the Tower of Babel. Are you all familiar with that story? It's basically a big middle finger F you to God. That's, that's Nimrod. And his great-great-grandchildren became the Assyrians. And the Assyrians were, were a very wicked nation that sought on multiple occasions to wipe the nation of Israel totally off of the map that they hated them, they were opposed to them, they resisted them, and they wanted to bring genocide and to crush them, kill them, and to destroy them. They were the sworn mortal enemies of the nation of Israel. And God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh. Okay, can you imagine why Jonah's probably a little reticent to answer this call? 
They're like, yeah, go to Nineveh where you're going to sell all of your possessions and maybe they might even kill you. There you go, Jonah. Go to Nineveh. And Nineveh is a great city. It's a massive city. Later in the book, it's going to tell us that it would take three days just to see all of the city. In the ancient world, that is unprecedented to its size. It would have massive walls. There would be a huge army on top. There's 120,000 people in the city. I mean, this is a massive, large, metropolitan city in the ancient world. And the king, which we're going to meet in chapter 3, basically functioned as their god. Okay, there was no separation of church and state. If you're the king, you're the God. And then everybody is to worship you as you are God. And so they couldn't vote and hold democratic elections. They couldn't pick and choose who their king was going to be. If the king was the king, then the king is the king. And what the king says is what goes. And if you disobey the king, he will crush you. He will stomp you. He will murder you. He will destroy you. And your life is over if you disobey the king. And God says, Jonah... Go to Nineveh. Okay, let's just be totally honest. If God told you to do this, you wouldn't go. You wouldn't sell all of your possessions and move across the world, and you wouldn't dedicate and devote your life to preaching people that don't even know what you're saying or want to listen to you. I mean, this is the same thing as God saying, okay, I want you to get on Facebook, tell the whole world you're going to Iraq, because that's exactly where Nineveh's at today. It's in Mosul, Iraq. Do you remember that picture last year of that little boy on CNN as he's in shock, as his parents just died? He's sitting in that, that chair and there's rubble all over his face and he just has a blank stare because of the war in ISIS. Do you remember that? That's your new home. I want you to go to Mosul, Iraq. I want you to plant the Jesus flag. I want you to go knock door to door, tell people that they need to accept Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. If they don't repent, then they're going to go to hell, hold a big Billy Graham crusade, bring everybody in, sing Kumbaya, and have a group hug. Will you go? No. Some of you won't even go to Walmart after dark. You're definitely (laughs) not going to go to Nineveh. And here's the deal. God has the right to tell you to do what you don't want to do. God has the right to speak into your life. God has the authority, the ability to call you, command you to do hard things. Things like tithing. 10% first and best given to the Lord. You're like, no, thank you, God. It's my money. I can do what I want when I want, and you need to keep your holy grubby hands off of my wallet. Okay, what about this? Remaining holy and pure before marriage. No, this is 2018. You can't talk to me about my sexuality. This is my body. This is my soul. Lord, I'll give you my sin, but I won't give you my body. What about things like getting in a group, becoming a member of a church? In an age of individuality, we have forsaken the corporate reality of the church. What about things like serving, caring about someone other than yourself, loving your enemies? You're like, God, I hate them. And he's like, I know. That's why they're called your enemies, and I told you to love them. I didn't ask you to like them. I told them to love you. You're like, God, this is so hard, and God has the right to tell you, to call you, to command you to do hard things, things you don't want to do, things you don't like to do, things you don't even know how to do. If you notice this, the word of the Lord, it doesn't end with a question mark. Right? God's not like, Jonah, arise and go to Nineveh. Maybe, if you feel like it. Maybe if, you know, your alarm goes off on time and you kind of make it and you have some scheduled time during the middle of the day. If you're not busy, maybe, possibly, potentially, I don't know, you might want to go to Nineveh. No. The word of the Lord doesn't end with a question mark. It ends with a period. Because when the word of the Lord comes, that's it. 
That's what God says. That's what God does. That's what God expects. The word of the Lord does not come with a question mark. It comes with a period because when God speaks, that's what happens. And so God speaks into Jonah's life. Will you allow God to speak into your life? And so here's how the story continues. It says, but Jonah, okay, that's us, right? Verse three, it says, but Jonah, right? God speaks, Jonah runs, but Jonah, verse four, it says, but the Lord, I love that, right? But Jonah, nope, but the Lord, but Jonah, nope, but the Lord. You see that there's this wrestle and there's this tension between Jonah and God on the call of his life. That's where some of you are. You have a wrestle and a tension. You know God is real, but you are still running from him. And the moment you keep running from God, I want you to know that God's always right there on your tail. God has never left you. And the moment you run out of breath and you turn around is the moment that you run into him. That you can run from God, but you cannot outrun God. You can try to hide, but he is everywhere. He will not let you go. He's always right there behind you, seeking you, passionately pursuing you. And the moment you turn around is the moment that you begin to run from God. But Jonah, that's you. But the Lord, you can flee from God's presence, but you have never made any distance from his presence. He's right there. But Jonah, but the Lord, He hurled a great wind upon the sea. So the wind is blowing, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea. That is a storm. When it says tempest, that is a violent storm. It's like a hurricane gale force winds. The winds are blowing. They're howling. The sea is crashing. The storm, it is unceasing. It is a mighty tempest on the sea. So much that the ship threatens, that's an important word, to break up. The ship cannot, was not, made for this type of storm. And then it says that the mariners, they were afraid and each cried out to their own God. You know it's a bad storm when the people who spend their entire life on ships, they're scared. Right, that's a bad storm. And what it says is they each cried out to their own God. Okay, in their day, they had what they called um, polytheism. In our day, we have what we call pluralism, tolerance, and diversity. Okay, in their day, they had polytheism, which means they worship any God, every God. Okay, we do the same thing. It's very rare that you'll meet somebody who's an atheist. Most people, they do believe in God, but they don't have a specified God that they believe in. That's why they just say, oh yeah, I believe in God. Which God? Any God that they want to choose for that day. You pick and choose your religion. All religions teach the same thing. All roads lead to heaven. You know, everything, just whatever you want. The world is a rainbow. Just click your heels and think happy thoughts. They call out to their God. What God? They don't even know. Right? Because they have no relationship with a God. So they get together and say, okay, we need, to, we need to get God on our side. God needs to help us. So let's call out on our God. So here's what we're going to do. You get Yahweh. You get Allah. You get Jesus. You get Krishna. You get Vishnu. You get Mother Teresa. You get Oprah. And we're all just going to throw our biggest hopes up into the sky and maybe somebody's going to answer the call. And so they just start dialing random numbers and they're like, maybe somebody's going to answer the phone, but nobody answers the phone because they dialed the wrong number because they had the wrong God. There's only one God who seeks. There's only one God who saves. There's only one God who delivers and they cried out to the wrong God, to false gods that can't listen, can't hear, can't answer your prayers. And so the sailors, they begin to call out to God. And here's how the story continues. It says, 
that they hurled the cargo that was in the ship in the sea to lighten it for them. It's a bad day when business owners are burning all of their inventory to be able to survive. So it's a bad storm. It's a massive storm. They've never experienced anything like this before. So people are freaking out. They're throwing all of their business away. They're crying out, calling out to God. They are very afraid. Now, where's our boy Jonah at? What's Jonah doing right now? What do you think Jonah's doing? Here's what it says next. It says, but Jonah, they'd gone down to the inner part of the boat and he had lain down and he was fast asleep. Not only was he asleep, he was fast asleep. You think, how in the world is this possible? How could Jonah be fast asleep when everyone's freaking out? Everybody is running around scared for their lives, freaking out, and Jonah is fast asleep. You think, how in the world could this happen? And I was thinking about it this week, and here's, here's what I think the principle is that we all need to pull out from this, is I think that Jonah was ignoring his problems. I think Jonah knows, okay, um, all hell is breaking loose. There's a massive storm. The wind is blowing. People are running around everywhere. And I know it's kind of my fault. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to go down to the bottom of the boat. I am going to turn on Netflix, pull the blankets over my head, and I am just going to go to sleep and wait for all of the world just to end. And I don't want to face it. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to look to it. I don't even really want to do anything today. And so all I'm going to do is I'm going to lay here, turn off the lights, and I'm going to ignore my problems. And Jonah is fast asleep. That's the same thing we do. That we ignore our problems. Difficult conversation? Let's not have it. Let's just go over here. Money's tight. Don't need to make a budget. Let's just ignore it. Right? Boss is upset. Instead of going in, having a conversation, I just slip in through the back door. Wife's upset. Right? I'm just going to go over here. I'm just going to sit in the chair. I'm just going to be very quiet, and maybe she won't know that I'm here. And instead of actually facing our problems, what we do is we ignore our problems. Okay? Let's just talk about this for a sec. Does ignoring your problems make them go away? No, right? Ignoring your problems doesn't make them go away. In fact, it normally, it normally only makes matters worse. And many of us, we're ignoring our problems, but greater than that, we're just ignoring God. That we know what God's word says. We know what God's word calls of us. We've experienced his presence. We were raised in church. We know better. And so we just spend our life ignoring him. And nothing ever gets better and nothing ever changes. And we think, if I just close my eyes, maybe he'll go away. Meanwhile, the ship is rocking and everything begins to fall apart. It doesn't get better. In fact, it gets worse. So instead of ignoring the storm, let me give you a couple of things that you need to look for in the middle of the storm. Okay, the first thing you need to look for is this, God's sovereignty. This is a massive theme throughout, throughout the Bible and we see it in the book of Jonah is that God is sovereign. What that word means is that he is the supreme authority, that there is nothing that is beyond him, his knowledge, his capability, or his ability, and ultimately he is in control over and all things, that God is sovereign. What God says is what happens. Now, notice this, okay? In the book of Jonah, everything obeys God. In the book of Jonah, um, the sea obeys God, the storm obeys God, the winds obey God. 
we'll know that the city obeys God, the king obeys God. Later, there's going to be a, um, a fish that's going to obey God. There's going to be a plant and even a worm that obeys God. In this, everything obeys God, and God uses everything, everything except for Jonah. That Jonah, he doesn't obey the word of the Lord. Instead, he turns and he runs from the Lord. And so when you're in the middle of the storm, here's what you need to look for. You need to look for God's sovereignty. God, what are you speaking? God, where are you working? God, where are you at? God, what are you, what are you doing? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? In the middle of the storms of your life, you need to be looking towards the sovereignty of God because God is sovereign over the storms. The second thing is our responsibility. Okay, Jonah, he doesn't turn and look to God's sovereignty. Instead, he runs and he, he ignores his responsibility. See, Jonah, he, he turns and he runs and he rebels and he disregards the word of God for his life. And that's the reason that he finds himself in the storm that Jonah is experiencing this great amount of suffering and it's all a result of his sin. Okay, you need to understand this. Okay, sometimes the storm you're in is a result of your own sin. Sometimes the seasons that you're in is because of the things that you've done, that you are suffering as a result of your sin, that you are in the middle of a storm because you're outside of God's will for your life. And many of us, when the storms of life come, here's what we love to do. We love to point our finger at God's sovereignty, but we fail to take responsibility. It's your fault that you're in the situation that you're in. You did those things. You are the one who is reaping what you are sowing and you are suffering the repercussions for your decisions. You are suffering as a result of your sin. Sometimes the result of our sin leads to our own suffering, but we fail to take our own responsibility. That we love to point the finger at God and we love to blame God and say, God, if you're sovereign, then why can't you do this? And God's like, well, hey, you have a part to play. You have some responsibility. So we need to stop pointing our finger at God's sovereignty and we need to start accepting our responsibility. That we're often the reasons for the things and seasons in which we're walking through. Okay, just think about this, right? God didn't cause you to not be able to, you know, pay your rent. You spent all of your money at the mall. That's your fault. Stop blaming God, right? God didn't cause you to drink so much that your wife left you. That's your fault. Stop blaming God for the season that you're in. God didn't cause you to become an addict. You put the drugs in your body. That's your fault. Stop blaming God for your situation. You need to own up and accept responsibility for your sin. And many of us, we love to blame God because we avoid responsibility in our own life. And so what we need to do is we need to see our, our sin. We need to see the part that we play and stop focusing on our suffering and start taking the responsibility. See, this is when repentance is so important. See, sin is running from God. And then when you see your sin for what it is, you take that responsibility, you turn, and you give it to the Lord. You say, you know what? This is not the life that I'm to live, I'm going to stop running, and I'm going to start trusting. Repentance is a sign of you taking your responsibility. But here's what happens. Many of us, we go to what we call vague spirituality. Okay, this is what we see in Jonah, and this is what the sailors do. Okay, you notice that they get, they get very spiritual. The storm comes, crisis happens, and they say, okay, we're going to cry out to our gods. Now, I don't have a relationship with God. I haven't talked to him. I haven't read my Bible. I haven't prayed. I haven't been to church in seven years. 
But as soon as the storm comes, as soon as the crisis comes, who's the first one you call? Okay, I know, God, we haven't talked, but I uh, could really use some help right now. Right, I'm going to pray to you, God. If you will just get me out of this, then I will do anything that you want. I will do anything that you ask. If you just do this, then God, I'm going to do this. And then we start to beg, and then we bribe, and then we begin to barter and try to bargain with God. We're going to make God a deal. Right, okay, God, if you just get me out of this storm, okay, then I'll do whatever it is that you ask. God, I will, I, I will start going to church. I will become a member of a church. I will join a community group, right? God, if you will just get me out of this, I will be baptized. You can hold me under the water until the bubbles start coming up just to make sure that it works. God, whatever it is, right, I'll take communion. I'll make the sign of the cross. I will begin to tithe 10%. 11%. God, if you will just get me out of this and we beg and we bribe and we barter with God. And we get very vaguely spiritual. And you know what happens? Oftentimes, when the storm blows over, so does your spirituality. The moment the crisis is over, there's no reason for you to stay. You say, God, thank you for that. That was close. I'll see you next Easter. I'm out of here. Right? Oh, God. You're like, hey, I thought you were going to join our community group. Oh, yeah, that was when things were bad. But now that I got a job, I'm not going to go anymore. You're like, what? Seriously? We've been praying for that job for three months. And you're going to turn your back on us for a dollar an hour? I don't think that's the way this works. But the moment that the storm passes, so does our spirituality. The vows that we made, we didn't make them with any real intention of keeping them. And we said, God, if you would do this, and God comes through and God delivers, and we still turn our back and we bail. I can't tell you how many people have come into our church just hopeless and broken. They say, I just need a move of God in my life. And then when God moves, and they begin to experience God's blessing, as soon as they do, when things get a little bit better, when things start moving in the right direction, as soon as all that happens, they leave. They're like, thank you, God. You saved me. And then they just walk away. Because some of the things of the world become more important than the things that God has done. And they become vaguely spiritual. Is anybody feeling convicted right about now? Okay, it's only week one. We got three more to go. So let the story continue. Okay, so in the storm, keep a watch out for God's sovereignty, the part you play, and your responsibility, and avoid vague spirituality. And the story continues in verse six. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Wake up! Why are you sleeping? How can you be asleep, ignoring your problems in a time like. This. What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. These people are very afraid. Okay. Now, is it their fault that they're afraid? Did they get themselves into this situation? No. Whose fault is this? It's Jonah's. Okay. It's Jonah's fault that they're in the middle of the storm. Okay. And here's what you need to know. Christians, your sin is not just between you and God. It's also affecting the people who are around you. Okay, there's this big myth today say, oh, well, I have a personal relationship with the Lord. And that is true. Jonah has a personal relationship with the Lord, but it seems like the captain is a little involved, amen? 
right? Yeah, you got a personal relationship, but right now, buddy, this involves me, right? Your sin doesn't just hurt you, it also hurts the people who are closest to you. That you think, oh, well, I can do what I want, and nobody's getting hurt, and God's my judge, and only He can tell me what to do. No, there's other people who are very close to you who are suffering because of your sin. Okay, we need to understand this. That sin doesn't only hurt the relationship with God, it hurts the relationship with the people who are around you. Okay, true or false? An alcoholic husband, right, that affects the children. The kids didn't ask to grow up in that. The children suffer because of the father's sins. Somebody doesn't come into work on time, they no call, no show, three times, they don't do their job. True or false? The whole team suffers. True. If you don't do your job, nobody else is able to do theirs. If a wife is gossiping and backbiting and she's bitter and she's always you know, upset and angry about everything, true or false, that affects the husband. True. So your sin doesn't just affect you, it also involves people around you. So we need to get rid of this idea that only God can speak into my life. No, we need to also realize that there are other people around us. And so the sailors, they're suffering because of Jonah's sin. So they've been brought into this situation and they're fearful and they're afraid. And so what's going to happen as the story continues? Verse 7, And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots, that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Uh-oh. Jonah's busted. Right? Everybody knows, Jonah, this is your fault. Jonah, you did something. Jonah, you need to get right with God. Jonah, you need to fix this problem. So here's what they do. They tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Okay, and where do you come from? What is your country? Of what people are you? They're interrogating him. They're like, Jonah, okay, you need to sit down. We've got the white light. Tell us exactly what's going on so we can figure this out. And Jonah said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, and who made the sea and the dry land. Okay, Jonah says, I fear the Lord. No, he doesn't. Right? You're fleeing from the presence of the Lord, and then you say, oh yeah, I fear the Lord. Really? He's not being totally accurate right here, is he? Push comes to shove, and he's like, oh yeah, 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 I fear the Lord. I used to fear the Lord. I kind of feared the Lord. I sometimes fear the Lord. Whenever it's convenient for me, I fear the Lord. Maybe, possibly, eh, maybe I fear the Lord tomorrow, Right? He's fleeing from the Lord, but when push comes to shove, he says, I fear the Lord, right? He's not being honest, but look at this. He has excellent theology. Look at this. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Oh yeah, creator God. I worship creator God. I can tell you about the six days, seven days of creation and how they all happened, right? I can tell you all about those things. I fear the Lord. Then why are you running from him? If you fear the Lord then why are you trying to flee from his presence? I need you to understand this. Jonah is saying one thing, but he is doing something else. Jonah says he believes in God, but his life doesn't reflect those beliefs. This is so critical for our church to understand, especially in Southeast Texas. Every single one of you were raised in the church. For the most part, you can tell me all about the Bible. You can tell me all about Jesus. You could walk me down the Romans road. You could do the ABCs of salvation. You can explain to me the book of Revelation, but your life doesn't reflect 
anything because you don't really fear the Lord. This is what I see all of the time in Southeast Texas. Yeah, I'm a Christian, right? I grew up in the church. My grandmother took me there. I prayed the sinner's prayer. I went to VBS. I did the youth camp. I raised my hand. That evangelist bopped me on the head. I fell down on the floor. I gave my life to Jesus. I got baptized. I took communion. I went to college. I never went back. But I'm still a Christian. Really? No, you're like Jonah. You say one thing and you do something else. That you believe, but you don't live out your beliefs. We are Jonah. And we need to understand this. And so the sailors, they're involved. Jonah, he's lying. The people around you, they are looking at your life. The sailors, they hear this. You fear the Lord? Then why are we here? Right? You need to get right with God. You fear the Lord? Really? Right, well, then you need to go talk to your Lord and we need to figure out how all this is going to get fixed. And hear me on this. That people are watching you. Dear Christians, understand this. People are watching you. The world is watching you. How are you going to live out your faith? Okay, because, because your sin involves other people and people understand when you're not right with God. Okay, I'll give you another illustration. I can tell there's conviction in the room. So let me pull this back on me. There's another thing that's happening in the Ellis house right now. Um, me and my wife, a couple of days ago, we got in a fight. Okay, I know you're thinking, the pastor gets in a fight with his wife? This pastor does. So we got in a fight, and I was like, and Ashley, my wife, she's super smart. She's amazing. She loves the Lord, and she puts up with me, and she says, she said, Byron, have you been, have you been praying? And I was like, no. She's like, you've been reading your Bible, you've been practicing your spiritual disciplines. I was like, no. She's like, I know, I can tell. People can tell when you're not right with God. And normally the people who tell the most are the people who are closest to you. And she said, I understand. So here's the Bible, go take a day, get some prayer with God. So I took a day, I prayed, with, prayed to God, got right with God, came home, and I was able to get right with my wife. If you're not right with God, then there's nothing that's going to go right in your life. That if you're far from God, you're going to be far from the people who depend on you, who love you, who are closest to you. And see, if I'm not right with God, I can't be a good husband, I can't be a good father, I can't be a good pastor, I can't be a good Christian if I'm not right with God. And so Jonah, there's this wrestle and there's this tension, and he comes to a point to where he understands, I'm busted. I've been running, I've been hiding, I've been resisting. And now I need to get right with the Lord. And so Jonah's going to get right with God. Kind of. Sort of. Maybe. Does he get right with God? Let's keep reading. Here's what happens. Verse 10. Then the men, right, they were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, what is it that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from, there it is again, the presence of the Lord. You can try to flee, but God's a lot faster. And here's what happens. Because he had told him, then they said, what shall we do to you? Right, that the sea may quiet down for us. How do we get this to end? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea, just like my big brother used to do to me. Just kick me in the deep end of the swimming pool. Throw me into the sea, and the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. 
Nevertheless, the men rowed hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Then they called out to, they called out to the Lord. Notice this is the real Lord. This is the true Lord. This is the one Lord who seeks and saves. This is the only Lord who can deliver them. And they say, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not upon us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased to you. So they picked up Jonah and they hurled him to the sea and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and they offered sacrifice to the Lord and they made vows. In your life, there will be storms. There will be times and moments and seasons in your life where everything's bigger, everything's greater, and everything is far beyond your control. In your life, there will be storms. And some of you, it's not a matter of there will be storms, it's there is storms. There's two storms, three storms. I'm in the middle of a storm right now. In your life, there will be storms. Some of you, you're experiencing that. That the winds are blowing, the waves, they are crashing, the dars are, the days are dark and they are despairing. You don't know which way's up and everything is turning and twisting and you are falling apart. In your life, there will be, there is storms. And when the storms come, you can do a couple of things. You can, one, you can run. That's what Jonah does. He runs. He's like, no, thank you. I'm out of here. But that doesn't work. You can try to hide and ignore your problems. Good luck with that. That doesn't seem to work very well either. You can get very religious and come up with all these theological reasons as to why you are the way that you are. You can become fearful and afraid, and you can even lose your faith. There's a lot of things that you can do in the middle of a storm. Or, you could do what took Jonah 16 verses, and you can reach a place of surrender. That's what Jonah does. Eventually, Jonah reaches to this place of surrender, where he stops running and he starts trusting. He said, God, I've done it my way, and now I'm going to do it your way. See, God is trying to catch your attention. The storms of life, the waves that are crashing and falling down all around you, in the middle of the storm, God is trying to get your attention. He is saying, if you stop running and start trusting, if you would stop trying to do everything in your works, in your will, in your way, according to your word, and you would surrender to the word of the Lord for your life. The Lord is trying to get you to a place of surrender. Now, I'm not saying that every storm comes from God. Some do, some don't. Some have been told that Easy things come from God and hard things come from Satan. That's not true. We live in a broken and fallen world. Sometimes storms just happen. But we know from Romans 8.28 that God works out all things to the good of those who are called into his purpose, all things including storms. And if you would only stop running and start trusting and reach a place of surrender, you can see the Lord deliver you in your storms. See, remember, God is sovereign 
over the storms, and in the midst of your suffering, he is leading you to a point of surrender. So you say, God, I can't do it. I can't fight it. I can't run anymore. I surrender. The word of the Lord for my life. Okay, what do the sailors do? It says they continue to row towards dry land. They know what to do. They just didn't want to do it. They're like, I know, I know, I know. I'm still going to keep trying. And they put their oars in and they continue to row towards dry land. And that's what we keep doing. We're like, if I just dig in a little bit deeper, right? If I just try harder, work harder, do better, be better, then I'm going to be better and everything changes. And nothing ever changes. We still find ourselves in the same place season after season and storm after storm. The only thing that changes is you're more hopeless, you're more helpless, you're despairing, you're depressed, you're anxious, you're tired, you're exhausted, and nothing ever changes. See, oftentimes what we do is we, we come and we say, okay, God, here's all my problems. I want you to fix everything. I want you to fix the biggest problem in my life. And sometimes the biggest problem in your life is you. That you are the biggest problem in your life. And before God changes your situation, He needs to change your heart. And the storms are God's way of changing your heart. We want everything to change except for we don't want to change. God is using this to change Jonah's heart. And eventually he reaches the point of surrender. See, the sailors, they surrender. They stopped rowing and they started trusting. And Jonah, he stops running and he starts trusting. And here's what's amazing. The moment Jonah reaches the point of surrender, it says that the sea ceased from its raging. When you reach the point of surrender, the storm and the sea ceases from their raging. It took Jonah reaching that point to where he just began to cry out and said, God, if you want me to live, then I'll live. And if you want me to die, then I'll die. If you want me to go, then I'll go. Whatever your will is for my life, that's what my will is. Whatever your word is for my life, that's what my word is. God, what you do is what I want to do. Where you are is where I want to be. And Jonah surrenders to the word of the Lord for his life. And it's only when he reaches the point of surrender that everything begins to change. And this is where the story transitions. And this is the part in the story where everything begins to change. Here's what it says in verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish. There's your fish. You're like, what are we going to talk about the fish? There you go. There's your great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. So here's the story of the Bible, right? God speaks, we run. God speaks, Jonah runs. God speaks to you, you run from him, right? But what we see is you can run from God, but you cannot outrun the love of God. That God is going to get you. He's going to follow you. He's going to pursue after you. This is what we call grace, right? That we turn our backs and we run from God and that God sends Jesus and he runs for us. 
This is what we call grace, that you don't seek God, God seeks you. That you don't pursue after God, God pursues after you. That you don't save yourself, but God saves you. It's not your works, it's Jesus' works. It's not about what you do, it's about what Jesus has done. And the more you sin, the more you run, the more you rebel, the more God patiently, passionately pursues after you, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get you to stop being so stubborn, turn your head, and if he needs a great fish to do it, then by God's grace, he's going to send a fish to get you, but one way or another, God is going to get his way. Yeah, that's right. This is the story of the Bible, and this is the story of your life, and God saves Jonah, and how does he do it? With a great fish. I love that. And as we get ready to talk about the fish, right, there's some things we'll talk about next week in regards to the fish. I don't have enough time to talk about it today, but as we were getting ready to preach Jonah, one young dude in our church, he's like, well, what are you going to preach next, Pastor Byron? I said, we're going to do the book of Jonah. And he's like, oh, Jonah, cool. Well, do you really believe in the fish? Right? You seem like a smart guy. Well, how do you believe in a fish that a guy really lived in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights? That's a little ridiculous. Do you really believe that? That's one of the big things that atheists say. I can't believe in the Bible. I don't believe in God because Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. Okay, we'll talk about that next week. But here's what I want to do. Okay, as your pastor, I want you to know I believe in the Bible. I believe that this is God's word. It's true. It speaks to us, tells us who God is, what God does, and what God wants us to do with our lives. I believe in the Bible. We love the Bible here at Redemption. And as your pastor, I, I believe the great fish. That Jesus, or that Jonah rather, that he was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to make an argument from authority. So instead of me trying to explain it to you, right, because I went to community college, I'm not really able to do that. I, <laughs> Lamar Orange at work. So, um, and Jonah was in, the, I'll explain it through the person, the greatest person in the history of the world, the most prolific, the most controversial person who's ever walked the face of the earth, that he is the only religious leader who said he is God, that Jesus Christ preaches about Jonah. And so instead of me telling you why you should believe in it, I'm going to let Jesus tell you why you should believe in it. And here's what it says in Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and the Pharisees answered him. Those are the religious people, okay? And they're saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. So they want him to perform a trick to prove to us that you are who you say you are. But he answered, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except for the sign of the prophet. What's the word? Jonah. See, Jesus says Jonah was a real person. Jesus says that Jonah was a prophet. Jesus says that Jonah really lived. Jesus says that there is an important message behind Jonah, and so we need to learn from him. And here's what he says. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, there's your fish, just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation, and they will condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah has come. Jesus says, I am greater than Jonah. Jesus says that something greater than Jonah is here. The whole point and purpose and reason, objective, direction, goal of Jonah's life was ultimately to point you to me, because everything in this book, every verse, every word, every page ultimately points to Jesus. And Jonah says, just as jo Jesus says, just as Jonah was in the 
great fish for three days and three nights. I will be buried in the grave for three days and three nights. The book of Jonah points towards the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That Jesus enters into this world. He lives the perfect life you never could live. That he, he dies the painful death. The death that we deserve in this place for our sin. Jesus goes to the grave three days, three nights, resurrects, conquering Satan, sin, hell, death, and the grave. Gives you grace, hope, mercy, and redemption. And the whole purpose, point, reason, goal of the book of Jonah is ultimately to point you to Jesus because it's always only all because of Jesus. Welcome to redemption. I love to preach the Bible. So let me tell you about Jesus. Jonah receives the word of the Lord, but Jesus is the word of the Lord. Jonah disobeys the word of God, but Jesus perfectly obeys the word of God. Jonah runs from God, but Jesus is God running to us. Jonah flees from the presence of the Lord, but Jesus is the presence of the Lord. Jonah was a rebellious prophet, but Jesus was a righteous prophet. Jonah causes a great storm, but Jesus calms the great storm. Jonah was thrown into the sea to satisfy the wrath of God, and Jesus was hung on a cross to satisfy the wrath of God. Jonah was in a fish for three days and three nights, and Jesus was in the grave for three days and three nights. That Jonah needed a savior, and Jesus is his savior. And that Jonah, he was saved by a fish, but we are saved by faith. We are Jonah that we have turned our backs from the Lord. We have resisted, rebelled. We have run away from the Lord. We have disregarded Him. And we have continued headlong in a life of sin and foolishness and brokenness and rebellion. And He loves us anyway. We are Jonah in every single way. And Jesus still loves you in every single way. You cannot outrun the love of God. You can try, but you're not going to do it. You can flee but God is faster. There is no distance you've made from his presence and the moment you start running is the moment you run into him. Jesus pursues after you. He loves to save people just like you. And you think, I've done too much. I've run too far. No, you haven't. You think there's nothing that God could ever do. Oh, but that's not true. That the moment you reach the point of surrender is the moment you'll experience the word of the Lord for your life. Jesus loves to save people just like you. Hard-headed, stubborn, foolish, hard-hearted people just like you. And if he did it for Jonah, if he did it for me, by God's grace, he'll do it for you. Redemption Church meets every Sunday morning on Crockett Street at the gig. If you would like to know more, you can find us online at www.redemptiontx.com or join us for one of our two services at 9.30 or 11.15 a.m. Sunday mornings in downtown Beaumont. Kids are welcome too. We are Redemption and we would love to meet you.